Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yeah. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and The Bachelor? uh, That book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mmm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral sleepy girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knudsen crushes only 100% real ingredients, so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in... um body problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. It's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, Mm. they have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back, no questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. 
It's the game of roses. Welcome to the game of roses. This is the game of roses. Welcome to the game of roses. Welcome to the pitch. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues. And today we are humbled. We are honored to welcome to the pit Bachelorette Season 14 runner-up, Bachelor in Paradise Season 6 villain, co-host of the Behind the Rose podcast, weighing in at 608,000 Instagram followers. Today we are talking to Blake Hortzman, Baylock High, and with him is his contributing partner and co-host of Behind the Rose, an entrepreneur with 47.7 thousand Instagram followers, Eric Bradley. Gentlemen, welcome, and thank you for being here with us in the pit. We are uh, very honored. Excited to be here. I've heard a lot about this pits that you keep mentioning, so I'm super excited to be here. Just for, for your information, the pit is basically a metaphor that we coined for the overwhelming fandom of The Bachelor when it kind of starts to consume your life as any other professional sport will for a football fan or a baseball fan or, you know, dudes have like their dungeons, their basements where it's just like all sports memorabilia. <laughs> we are like that for the sport we love, which is The Bachelor. Oh, I am. I am deep in this pit. Then. <laughs> yeah, I would say I am deep doing a podcast where you're breaking down The Bachelor. Is yeah, exactly. I'm sorry to tell <laughs> it you. Is, it is as deep yeah. as so we just want to kind of start out and talk about some basic history. This is generally what we do with anybody when we we welcome them to the pit. And these questions are for both of you guys. Where did you grow up and what were you watching as kids? What kind of TV shows or video games? What was the media that you were intaking as children? I'll go first. Um, so I grew up in a small town here in uh, Colorado called Bailey, Colorado. Uh, just a mountain town. Um, honestly, growing up, I mean, growing up in the mountains is amazing because like I had a thousand square foot treehouse, like bigger than most people's like condos and apartments. So oh I didn't God. watch much TV. I didn't like I was out doing stuff outside. You know, I had like forts, you know, like living in the mountains, I had four wheelers, dirt bikes, all that. So I didn't watch a ton of TV. I was a big I was a big movie guy, you know, like mm-hmm. VCR, type, you know, like that kind yeah. of movies. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I was a big movie guy, but it's, I never watched reality TV, never watched reality TV. Honestly, didn't really until I the only reality TV I watch now is the Bachelor's franchise. Um, but I mean, growing up, yeah, I just I was not into the, the reality, and I started watching when I was on the season. That's uh, kind of when I started watching reality TV. You weren't watching Survivor in the treehouse. No, no. no. <laughs> I was surviving out there. You know, I was, I was surviving, surviving out I there. Lived it. <laughs> you were living it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that was kind of yeah, cool childhood growing up, and now I'm in Denver. So you know, I love Colorado a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's uh, originally from New York. Whole family's from like Long Island, Brooklyn area and then moved out here when I was younger, probably about eight or nine years old to Denver. We're still here, sadly. And uh, you love <laughs> it. So I do, I do. I love, I do love Denver. Denver is pretty perfect. <laughs> okay. Uh, growing up, growing up though, like, you know, geez, there was no reality TV with how old I am. Uh, that hadn't started yet. So I grew up like TGIF kind of nights where it was like boy meets girl. Uh mm-hmm. I can't even remember what other lineup that was, but like Saved by the Bell was like my favorite TV show probably growing up. I think I had a crush on Kelly Kapowski, just like every other or, or Topanga from, from Boy Meets sure. World. First, yeah, reality TV. Yeah, I, I've watched every sur- uh, season of Survivor. That was like my show. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, now somehow I'm 
from the NFL world to now completely entangled into this reality TV world. <laughs> it's the same world. Just to let you know, it's the exact same world. There is no difference. Unlike Blake, like I watch every reality show now. It's insane. Interesting. You watch a 90 Day Fiance? Yeah, he's a huge, yeah, you watch everything. I sure do. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially now that Col- now that now that Colty is back. Oh, oh man. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <funny. Colty. laughs> <Colty> and Ed. <laughs> was Survivor your first reality show you got into? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I think Richard Hatch was like the season one winner. Oh, I totally yeah. remember him. He was the dude who was naked Richard. all the time. He was always naked. Yeah. Yeah. He had like hardcore game strategy going in in season one, and it was just mind blowing to watch that. I totally remember that. I actually have that on pause trying to watch last night's episode right now. <laughs> you're, oh, like, you're actually interrupting my survivor right now. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I have shit to do. Uh, <laughs> you're just mainlining reality TV while you're doing everything else. Yeah. You're like, I can't look away. I'm doing laundry, trying to pack for Chicago tomorrow and catch up on survivor. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Blake, the first time you watched Bachelor was your own season of Bachelorette re-airing. Uh, actually, well, so I had seen an episode here that my mom and sister watched the show, just like, you know, most mom and daughters around. Um, but I, so I know when I was going through the process is when I was like, okay, maybe I should watch Ari's season and see who, what I'm getting myself into, see who the Bachelorette is. So I kind of started watching mid Ari's season is when I really got into it. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I'd watch an episode here. I went to college in Nebraska and... Uh-huh. It was a big deal that Chris Souls was the bachelor. So, cause he was in you know, Midwest, Iowa kind of thing, you know, and Jade was from Nebraska and she, you know, she was like final four, I think. Yeah. I think she was four. So everybody in Nebraska at the time I was living there, I was like into it. So like, you know, I'd, I'd go to the houses and like, yeah, the, all the girls would have it on kind of thing, but I'd never actually sat down and watch it until halfway through ours. Wow. What about you, Eric? When was the first time you were aware of or saw a season of the bachelor? Do you remember? Yeah. It was Ben Higgins season because I had known Ben season 20, a very important season. How did you know him? We just ran in the same uh, social circle here in Denver. Uh, and we're always hanging out at the same like bars, watching watching sports on the weekends, and had no idea who he was coming off of Caitlyn's season. And then he was like telling me like he was ready to go and film. And I was like, I had never watched a show in my life. I was like, cool, man. Like working working <laughs> working with athletes. Yeah. I'm like, that's not really okay. Cool, you're a reality guy. And now it's like they're, it's they're the Beatles and Backstreet Boys compared to like pro athletes. It, it, it's it's so mm-hmm. night and day of a world. They're also the same people. I mean, the the next host of The Bachelor is an ex NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. The next Bachelor is a guy who played four preseason games for the fucking yeah. Seahawks in 2016. It's like it's all Colton Underwood. He was also a guy who played preseason yeah, Clay games. Clay Harbor. Clay Harbor. The intersection of the NFL and the Bachelor, or even just college football you're looking at tyler cameron you're looking at matt james they both played for fucking wake forest before they got into the game it's just like a feeder system and tyler tyler played with the uh ravens he was in the nfl for a second oh was he really Mm -hmm. i didn't even know that shit yeah yeah Yeah, it's crazy uh what was both of your guys first social media accounts and when do you remember like first realizing like this isn't just a fad twitter's not just where you post 140 characters of like a burrito review this is actually something like that i can make money off potentially and i need to have one of these so for me the very first one so i was actually late to the game i mean you know nebraska and like i said small town car like i just didn't have that around me i didn't have you know social media or like models or like influencers none of that so like my first i think i was a junior in college i had facebook that was my first social media account was junior year college facebook uh, and Snapchat, I guess Snapchat, if you count that Snapchat, I had uh, like junior, senior year of college, but that's, that's it. And then I, my first Instagram actually was after college 
And yeah, I think I had like going into the show, like 500 followers maybe. And then I didn't have a Twitter until the show. So I wasn't much right. on social media before the show. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I'm going to totally age myself. How far are we going back here? Dude, I'm sure we're similar in age, you and I, honestly. <laughs> I bet oh. you're not that much older. Yeah. You're not even that much older than me. Like you're four years older. I mean, are we going like AOL, like 56K yeah. dial up, mm-hmm. like internet pimping flirting in the chat rooms here oh you're an internet pimp. Like, <laughs> that's amazing like age a a slash s slash l slash pick like uh but yeah, but yeah myspace myspace i was on myspace tom was my best friend yeah dude same how about friendster i don't know i don't remember. i don't even know i'm not familiar with that one yeah that was just before myspace <laughs> i've heard of Friendster. and then yeah then there's this the facebook and i'm i was really late to the game on instagram like i signed up for instagram maybe three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, Facebook was just so much work, like for me, like, and then going to Instagram, I'm like, man, I can't handle two of these. And I'm not on Twitter. Mm, Not yet. But it's really funny. Like all my followers are mostly dudes because of my NFL uh, association. Yeah. So like, yeah, I'm definitely not getting DM slides. (laughs) <laughs> like, like, like these guys after this interview watch out <laughs> it's gonna come after you i tell you what. our audience is 95 percent women <laughs> well, well so is so is blake's and they're, yeah. they're, they just don't yeah. like yeah. me well so you get some slides i know you do no i do i do <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, congratulations on your slides yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we call them belly flops they belly flop in the dm that's what I say. <laughs> they don't slide they belly flop yeah so mm-hmm. baylock guy you got 500 followers how did you get into the game? What was the casting process like for you? So the casting process for me, so it's very different for everybody, very unique for everybody. For me, I was six months worth of casting process. So I was in, I was in deep there for a while. Like I, I got my first call in October, I think. And then it didn't start airing or start filming till like mid-March. So I was roughly about six months. Uh, I mean, you do the whole, you know, at the beginning, it's like phone calls and then you do the questionnaire and then you do the packet question. It's like 300 questions. They want to know your RA, you know, in college and they want to know you're like landlord and like all that way back. Yeah. Um, and I swear they just do that to see if you'll, you know, fill it out. Like, I think they just want to make sure that you're willing to do what they ask. No, man, they, they research that shit. Connor Saley just had a TikTok come out where he said that Mm -hmm. they were coming after like two of his girlfriends from high school when he was 16 and trying to get dirt on him. And he was like, he was so happy. He had such a good relationship with him. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. If you got skeletons, make sure they are happy skeletons. Amen. Amen. Um, and then I got, I flew, flew out to LA twice. Uh, and the second time was that finals weekend when there's roughly, you know, 45, 50 guys uh, and they put you up in a hotel for two days and they go through all the testing, psych test, blood test, all that intense stuff. And I left there feeling good. Like I left that being like, I think I'm in, but you really don't know. You really don't know until you're like at the mansion or in, you know, more or less like totally. quarantine. But for me, it was unique because I got a call. I'll never forget. I got a call and I knew that it was about to start filming. And I got a call. It was like a Tuesday. I was like at the gym and I got a call from a producer. She was like, hey, can you come to L.A. tomorrow? We want to film something with you. Can you get off work? I was like, yeah, I could probably get off work. So I got off work and I, I remember I hung up the phone. I called my sister. I'm like, because she's, you know, she's a pro. And she was I was like, what's going on? I was like, why are they flying me out early? Like this season hasn't even ended. And she was like, oh, my God, you're going to be on after the final rose. Like you're going to meet the bachelorette on the stage. And that's when I like wet myself. You know, I was like, oh, my God, I have to go on national television. I have no experience in this. You know, I was freaking out. But yeah, I flew out to LA, 
And I was on after the final rails. That's where I brought the horse out and I did the whole, the whole horse, get back on the horse kind of line to, to mm-hmm. Becca and stuff. And that, at that point, I actually had to go back to work after that. I had to go back to work for five days. So that was really strange before I went on the show. So like I was, I had to go back to work where like people recognized me in like liquor stores because I'd work for, I sold beer and like, they would like recognize me and be like, were you on ABC last night? I'm like, yeah. It's kind of weird. Right. <laughs> Holy shit. How did the horse come about? Yeah. So I flew in on like, I think. I want to say it was like a Tuesday night, maybe even a Monday night. And it was airing to or filming Tuesday. And I was in a hotel. And, you know, at this point, I'm, you know, green behind the ears, if you will. I had no idea what was going on. And there was like three or four producers came into my room. You're we just chatting it up. They're like, so you're going to meet the Bachelorette. You know, I, at that point, I didn't know. I knew like it was probably going to be Becca, but they hadn't told me yet. Mm-hmm. And they were like, do you have any ideas? You know, like, we'd love to put you on. the." And I was like, you know what? My last name's Horseman. I'm like. I think it'd be fun to do. And at that time in my head, I was like, Becca, she just got dumped. You know, I'm thinking it's her. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be fun to do, you know, like, hey, you know, if you fall off the horse, you got to get back up again. And they were like, oh my God, I love that. And then their idea, they were like, what if we get you a horse? And I was like, what? <laughs> like a real one? And they were like, yeah, yeah. I think we can, you know, get a real horse. I was like, okay. I was like, fine, you know? <laughs> and so they come in the next morning. They were like, we got you a horse. I was like, well, no fucking <laughs> way, you know? I was like, oh my God, that's insane. And we went through rehearsal and at the time they're like, you know what? We were going to have you put her up on the horse, but they were like, there's some safety issues there. You know, <laughs> your adrenaline's oh. running. What if you throw her <laughs> over the horse? What if she falls off the horse on live television? So they're like, we're just not going to do that. I was like, okay, no, that's fine. So during rehearsal though, I brought the horse out. I said my line to the stand in and then I brought this and she was tiny. She was a tiny girl and I brought her down. And I remember like looking around, I said my line and then I did, I was like, fuck it. I picked her up, put her on the horse. And I saw the producers kind of look around. They got on their walkie and they're like, fuck, that was great. They're like, we're going to do that. We're going to finish the show. You're going to go last. We're going to finish the show with her on the horse. Strong play. Yeah, I know. right? And it ended up being amazing. It was perfect. Everything worked out perfect. Um, and it's still a blur. Like to think that I was Never been on TV before. Never really, I mean, done anything like that. And I wasn't, you know, 5 million people on national television live. Like, it's pretty crazy, you know? Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, that's fantastic. That's something we talk about constantly on our shows that you have to be your own producer. And the producers will sometimes try to railroad you even in your own ideas. They'll be like, Mm -hmm. well, don't do that. Don't do that. But when you're on camera, it's like you're doing it. You're producing your own segments. And that's genius what you did to put that little flourish at the end and be like, fuck it, I'm doing this. And then they grant you the final entrance. Uh-huh. Yep. So it's it's what we call the Omega, in, at least in limo exits. It's the last person to come out of limos. You basically had that in the the live thing from your own doing. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, it finished. It looked so good. Yeah, it was really cool. Let's move into the season 14 now. So this is a sensitive subject. Totally fine if you don't want to talk about it. You had an incredibly moving story about the tragedy that happened at your high school, and that featured into a big portion of your hometown, your first round of playoffs. And we're curious, was that your idea to include that? Did producers kind of Mm. prod you into it? How much of it was producer versus your idea? So actually, good question, because I haven't talked about this too much, but I obviously like that was not only a sensitive subject for me, but like my hometown, a lot of my friends and my mom Mm -hmm. worked at the school. My sister was a freshman. I was a senior. So it wasn't coming from a small town too. It was very sensitive to a lot of people. So actually what a lot of people don't know is they had no idea. I did not want to tell the producers during the application process about that. So they had zero. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be on the show because of that. Like I didn't want this traumatic experience to be why I got on the show. So I did not tell any, you know, at any point during the application process, I did not tell them about um, my high school shooting or anything. And I remember we were in the Bahamas and I was sitting at the pool at this point. I knew I was like, they had already, she'd given out the four roses for hometown. So everybody at that point, you 
literally don't see each other anymore. You break like that. As soon as I think it was Colton came home with the rose from that final date, it was like, okay, go, go pack your shit. You're in different rooms now. And I never saw the guys until rose ceremonies. Um, but I remember I was sitting at the next day in the Bahamas with my producer at the time and we're sitting by the pool and we were kind of debating on like what I should do for my hometown. And I was like, you know, I think it'd be really cool. We were planning on doing this hike <laughs> up what's called Mount Bailey. It's like this big mountain in my, my not big, but a decent sized mountain in my hometown. And it overlooks my whole town and do a picnic up there. But they sent some like, they sent some handlers up there and they walked halfway and said, fuck this. <laughs> like we're not hiking this. <laughs> but they were like, like you need to find it you know, figure something else out. Uh, so I remember sitting around and I, I finally, I was like, you know, I, they were like, well, what if we take you to the high school? Like, you know, you, you grew up in the halls there, your mom worked there, all that kind of stuff. I was like, I love that idea. But I was like, if you guys, you know, if we do do it in my high school, like we have to talk about something like I, something that's very important and molded me into the man I am today. And that's when I told them about, you know, the school shooting and everything. And they were like, we love, like, you know, I think that's a very important discussion and you're right. Like it's, it's who you are. And it was a big moment in your life and a changing point in your life. So we, we, I, we think it's important to talk about, but it's, it's depressing, you know, like we don't yeah. want your hometown to be very low and dark. And they were like, we need to figure out something to bring the energy back up. They're like, we'd love to do like a live performance. And I remember sitting there being like, well, Becca loves Betty who, and literally within like hours, they're like, we got Betty who I'm like, what is happening? Wow. You know, it was That's incredible, amazing. you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, then we, we, we did that concert in the auditorium and stuff, but I think the one thing I was really nervous to talk, you know, obviously that's like a sensitive subject to a lot of people. So it was trying to navigate saying, you know, the right things without using that. You know, I didn't want to right. use the story for like, I don't know, sympathy points or for, you know, like a rose. Like I didn't want to use it. So I tried to really like narrate that into like how important it was for me, but then also for my town and how my, the, not only the town, honestly, the state, like all of Colorado, because, you know, I'm not far from Columbine High School. So like all, Colorado had obviously seen, you know, unfortunately a few of these, these mass shootings. And it, like, it was really cool to see like how just the whole state came together. And within, you know, the next day we had thousands of people coming to our school and they were donating money. And I, you know, I got actually the Columbine principal reached out to me and talked to me on the phone and like things like that. So I wanted to show that like it wasn't as traumatic as it was it was really cool to see the human spirit and like how people can come. You know, we didn't ask for help, but they came no matter what, you know, with, with food. Like I didn't, we didn't cook meals for like a month because people were just, you know, giving meals. And so it was, it was cool. That's what I wanted to talk about was more the experience and how it gave me hope in like people, again. Yeah. you know what I mean? Cause you go through that and you lose hope. And then it's, it was really cool to see how people, you know, um, came to, to our aid and everything. And then I also talked about, my family was in the high school at the time. Um, like my mom was the one who got on the intercom and was like code white, you know, and I could hear in her voice, her tears. So I knew it was wrong. Like right away, I knew something was wrong. And so I think that was a big moment for me. And I'll never forget like being in the gymnasium when I saw my mom and my sister, you know, and we all kind of came together in the gymnasium and was like hugging each other. So it's like a big moment for me too, being like, I mean, obviously, you know, your family is important to you, but to actually almost have them ripped away from you was like a really big moment in my life where I was like, God, things can just change in an instant. Your life can change instantly, you know? And so that was like, and that's how I try and live my life. And I was like, knowing that like any day you can lose, you know, the people you love. And so I try to live my life like that now, you know? So it was like a big, a lot happened for me in those 48 hours or whatever it was. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's a lot, a lot to take on. And definitely, I don't think they had covered that type of thing in the show before. No, um, exactly. And that was the other thing you got to, 
you know, as far as like gun control and like all of that, like, you know, it was like, it was a lot going on and a lot of like narratives, but I thought, I actually thought the show handled it really well. Like I think the way mm-hmm. they edited it and the conversations they showed and didn't show and all of that, like I think, and Becca handled it phenomenally. Like I remember her actually tearing up during it and she was like incredibly sympathetic and empathetic through the whole thing. So I think all in all, the show handled it pretty, pretty well. You then have one of the most memorable heartbreak edits of all time in the finale. What is it like you're coming out onto the stage in front of a live studio audience in the After the Final Rose to talk to the Dark Lord himself, Chris Harrison, about your final moments in game, which I don't believe you had seen until you're live on that stage. Yes. So that was actually the first time that I kind of more or less got lied to kind of by the producers Mm. Uh, they told me i would watch everything beforehand they told me i'd be watching everything beforehand and obviously you know i'm sure like everything else in entertainment it's always hurry up and wait you know like i was dressed by noon and then you know i sat in a green room for five hours uh but i remember they grabbed me from the green room and they're like okay like you know you're gonna sit down on the couch with chris first and then becca's gonna come out and i was like okay okay and i kept being like in my head like when am i actually gonna watch this when am i gonna watch this Next thing I knew, one of the handlers grabbed me or, you know, one of the sound guys grabbed me and I was walking on the stage and I turned around to my producer at the time. And I was like, you tell me I have to watch it in front of like thousands of, you know, holy shit. And there she was like, she was one of those things like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's just good TV. Sorry. You know, in my head, I was like, you son of a, but it ended up not nearly as bad as I thought because I sat. So actually they dim the lights and they start playing the episode or that segments, you know, me getting dumped on the show and they turned down the lights. So at that point I walked out there, I sat next to Chris I did watch it for the first time, like in front of all those people in front of Chris, which is obviously very difficult. Um, and then, yeah, they bring the lights up and you're sitting there, you know, and it's obviously like very, I don't know, like the mood, <laughs> the vibe is not so good in the room and everything. And yeah. Chris starts asking you those questions and everything. And it's, it's hard because you think in that moment, like you've obviously prepared, right? You've prepared kind of more or less what you're going to say. And you know, to a degree of what Chris is going to ask you. Um, but it's still, you get incredibly emotional because you really do, it takes you back to that moment. And I was back in that moment in that sweaty, like suit, you know, crying. Like I really was back in that. And so it was, uh, it was hard. It's not easy to sit there and talk, you know, not only with Chris Harrison, but also like all those people and stuff. So it was difficult. Exactly. It's the, the, after the final rows and the mentel, all these things that are shot live in front of the studio audience are the closest things to actual sporting events that happen in the course of shooting where there's like literally fans have fucking signs and shit and t-shirts for their favorite players. And then you're asked to come out and rewatch this traumatic event that they've literally orchestrated to hopefully make you break down into a pile of tears for our entertainment. Yes. It's fascinating. It's interesting to hear too, that that was the first moment you realized like, oh, wait mm-hmm. a minute, maybe these, these people aren't my friends. Yep. Uh, Eric, this is a question for you. When did you guys actually become friends? Was it before the airing of Blake's season or during or after? It was afterwards. Um, I'd actually met and known Colton and met Jason before I met Blake. Didn't we meet during during the season while it was airing? I don't remember. It was probably towards the end of it. it we did. Remember, we went to that Kenny Chesney concert, and we were like, <laughs> "This is a funny story." Because we were met yes. at this Kenny. He took he took us this me, Colton, and Jason to this Kenny Chesney concert here in Denver, and <laughs> we were three episodes in. This is the first time I really had a taste of the nation. And at that time, it was like Blake's and, and Colton. Our me and Colton were huge because we had you know three episodes in. We were still like we were a lot of screen time. Yeah, nobody knew who Jason was at the time. <laughs> he had zero screen time, so it was pretty funny. He was like, "What's going on, man?" He's like, "How you guys have all these followers?" I have like 
you know, a thousand. He's like, what the fuck? I'm like, you know, it'll be all right. Like, you'll, you'll be fine, yeah. you know? Um, but that, yeah, I remember we walked through the parking lot together. I was upset at these guys. I'm like, because I'm, t- I'm trying to get them from the parking lot to backstage to like go hang and meet like Thomas Rhett before he takes the stage. And I'm like, dude, we got to go. We got to go. And these guys are stopping, taking thousands. Of pa- I'm like, I can't do this. Shit. We walked, like- we walked through a sorority. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. We walked through a sorority tailgate and it was like, we got like mauled and Eric's like, we got to go. I'm like, I don't know what to do. It was a, <laughs> it was a weird moment for sure. Yeah. It was like one of the first times I was like, Whoa, what is my life? I think that was the funniest thing that when I look back at it, when I first met Jason, his first question to me, who was like, what do you think I do for them? I'm like, well, you're slick back. You look greasy as fuck. You're, you're, yeah. you're definitely in the financial industry. Yeah. And he had like probably 75 followers at the time. Yeah. 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 And now it's like, and the, the, yeah, these guys, but yeah, Colton introduced Blake and I, we went and had dinner uh, mm-hmm. one night. And then from there, Blake has been my forever plus one to country shows. Yep. Right. Yep. Pretty much. But you've since seen his season, Bachelorette season 14. I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen it all. Yeah. I've seen everything after Ben's. What is it like for you to be friends with somebody and then watch on screen? Like that heartbreak edit was crazy. It was literally one of the most intense ones we've ever seen in the history of the show. What is it like to watch your friend on screen, breaking down, sobbing, seeing him go through these these moments that clearly producers are orchestrating, especially on Bachelor in Paradise, which we will get to momentarily. <laughs> uh, you know, they're making these situations specifically to destroy this person psychologically. And you're now watching that. What is that experience like, knowing that person so well? I mean, it's... <laughs> You you kind of it's like everything it's like it's like kind of like comical because like yeah that's my guy right there what an idiot but then it's like <laughs> Jesus like did she have to do him so dirty like that it's hard to see your your people get done dirty totally yeah or just like blindsided like because they really like he was really invested like and when he came mm-hmm. off the show it's like when you hear the stories like that guy he loved Becca like that was a hundred percent real. Mm-hmm. And, and you know being like not a part of that world you're like how can someone really fall in love in like that short of time or want to like spend the rest of your life but then you see how close you know he got with her in that short amount of time and how real that was i mean it's, it's tough to see your friends go through that but then like when you look at like bip this week it's amazing to see your friends that you're close to have those moments where of just pure joy. Mm. Totally. Seeing that the process does work. That's what makes us so interested in this as a game is it's like, clearly there are game mechanics. We wrote a whole fucking book about it, putting together all the metrics, kind of like a money ball for The Bachelor, like statistically what you should do in any given situation to make it to top four, to win the ring, the crown, whatever you might want. But the flip side of that is that like people obviously fall in love for real in this and that this game to us contains both of those things, especially in the main games, Bachelor or Bachelorette, you have to play those well to make it to the end if you do want to fall in love. It's like you can't just show up and be like, I want to fall in love. You also have to navigate this 10 round game that the producers are fucking throwing landmines out left and right. And you have to deal with the other players and all that kind of shit. And that's to us like what makes it truly fascinating. But yeah, I mean, you know, you're saying watching your friends, it's it's hard to see. It's like, you know, we don't really know any of the players. We have some acquaintanceships with some of them. And like, you know, we're talking to you now, but primarily our relationships with all players are parasocial. We're watching your social media. We're watching the show. And it's even hard for us to watch when you see like yeah. heavy producer manipulation that's just fucking wrecking people's lives. Like what happened to uh, Chris Conner and, and Alana Milne in Paradise this season? It's just like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. The producers just brought them in to kick them out. Yeah, um, it's, it's very intense. And even when they're doing their montage, at the end of the episode, you didn't, they didn't show them and that they're still together. Yeah, exactly. They can't show them because it, it breaks the narrative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Speaking of producers, do you consider any producers friends? I know that you were during the era of Elon Gale. What was he like? Yeah. Um, so I, I get asked this every once in a while because obviously I have a rocky relationship with the show and with producers and everything. I think I and I think, you know, I, I don't go out of my way to necessarily like talk crap. I'm just very honest. I I'm very honest about my experience on the show. And I think I am still so my producer who was on The Bachelorette, who was from the literally from the beginning, like it was crazy. She was the first person to interview me during the pro the uh, application process. And she was the one by my side when I got done. So like she, we became super, super close throughout that um, process. She, we are still friends. She had a baby and wasn't in paradise. And I obviously I don't mm, blame her. You blame the baby. But at the same time, I'm like, if you had been there, <laughs> things might've gone differently, you know? Yeah. And I think I honestly think the show was like, Hey, like, because I didn't really interact with, I mean, you you do interact with other producers, but like she was my producer. Like I would do all my ITMs with her, blah, blah, blah. And I think they knew going in, they were like, wait a minute, like, you know, she's not going to be here. We can fuck with Blake a little bit. And they did. Like I, I went through, I think four producers, three to four producers within the first four days, because obviously once they lie to you, it's over. You have no, you, like you can't, you know, you can't work with them anymore. So I kept mm -hmm. catching them, you know, in these lies and these manipulations. So I went through producers like crazy those first like three to four days. And then I got this producer. Do you request a new producer? No, they just know. And they just, they just know. Like They know. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be like, I'll figure it out that they lied. And then all of a sudden there's a new producer that I'm working with. You know what I mean? So. But then what happens to that producer? They lie to you and you're like, fuck this producer. Do they just like put them on somebody else? Yep. And that, that person doesn't know that they lied to you. Yep. Do you tell that person this producer fucking lied to me? Ice them out. Um, Sometimes, but not really. You really aren't able to. I mean, First of all, you, you you try not to talk shit about producers in front of other producers and in front of the camera. Of course. Suicide. Mm. I mean. Yeah, exactly. So you really don't have a chance. But it is also, it's known. Like, I know, like, especially even in my bachelorette, like, if a producer sits down, if there's, like, certain producers, if they sit down on iTeam, you're like, I'm fucked. Like, this is it. Like, this <laughs> is it. Because that means I'm in drama. Oh, shit. Like, if this producer comes in, mm. I'm I'm in the drama. So they have like hatchet producers basically oh. to come in. And it's like, if you know, you walk into the ITM room and the lights come up and you see the person sitting across from you, you're yep. like, oh, fuck, that's the Grim Reaper. Yes. <laughs> we actually had a producer we called the Grim Reaper. We have a producer we call <laughs> the Grim Reaper because she would come in no. and then you'd be dumped and then you'd be going home. We had, we used to call her the Grim no. Reaper. Yeah. You gotta yeah. be shitting me. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I think she still works. Holy fuck, dude. But she, I, she was, because she came in, I was obviously... I was going in, you know, before my uh, proposal to Becca, I was like scared. You know, I was like, I, mm -hmm. I, after my hometown or now her hometown where I met her family, something was off and I could sense it. And they brought her in being like, it was like, literally they like, I remember my producer got on the phone or got on her walkie or whatever you want to call it. And boom, it was, they switched mid ITM. She came in and she was like, Whoa. you're going to live, you know, she's so in love with you. You're going to have this, you know, this perfect life with her, blah, blah, blah. You know, just kind of like hyping me up to go out there and get done. <laughs> so we know the Grim Reaper. Yeah. How fast is it? Like when you come into the game, especially because, you know, you're saying you watched half of RE season 22 um, before you came in. So you didn't really know the game that well. How fast do you like get up to speed about who the various producers are, what that hierarchy is and kind of just how the game itself works? 
So <laughs> I'll just be honest. For me, Eric can attest to this. I am like a puppy dog. Like I, I trust everybody. <laughs> like I do, and it's to a fault. It is. It's to a fault, and that's why I mean Eric works so well together. <laughs> yeah. Like I just trust everybody, and I think everybody's got my good, you know, intentions at heart and all this. And so I honestly didn't know when we were filming The Bachelorette. The only way I kind of, I'll never forget we were in, I was in like a, a sauna. It was in Vegas and I was in the sauna. Obviously we're not mic'd up and it was me, Colton, uh, Jason, and maybe Garrett. I think it might've been us four. And Jason is the most like strategic. He overthinks everything and in a good way. That's what makes him good at what he does. He's amazing. His fucking podcast is like yes. incredible. Yes. He is very smart, very intelligent. But he was the first person to kind of start, like him and Colt, when we were in that sauna, they were kind of like talking about like things. Like game things, strategies. Yes, game things that they noticed. They were like, yeah, they were like, why does blah, blah, blah get longer ITMs? Why does blah, 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 yeah. you know, all this thing. Why does they get more time with Becca? Why, you know, so hmm. that was when I first was like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, they are controlling a lot of this, you know, obviously puppeteers, if you will. Um, that was the first time where I kind of noticed it, but I didn't, obviously it didn't hit me hard until Paradise. <laughs> Right. Because I got treated really well through Bachelorette for the most part. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. You came off of Bachelorette with one of the best edits, maybe in the history of the fucking game. Mm -hmm. And obviously you got a call to maybe be the Bachelor, the next Bachelor. Yeah. Signed the contract and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is that phone call like? So I, I honestly, I'm not sure when I first got off the show, I think I was like, I had talked to a lot of producers and everything. And a lot of the like, even the casting producers and stuff. I'm close with a couple of them. And they were like, when you, when the show ended and we knew who won and who you, you got second, they were like pretty much everybody in the office was like, Blake's the next bachelor. They're like, this is yeah. it. Like they, mm -hmm. they knew. And I was the first person to get called to fly to LA. Like I got, I was, I flew to LA probably midway through my season to, to interview with Fleiss and the interview with Rob Mills. Yes. Millsy. Yeah. So I, I like, I interviewed with all of them and it went well, you know, it went well that, I think the only reason I, well, I, I don't think I know the only reason I wasn't was because Fleiss came in and was like, we want football, virgin, Colton, good looking, you know, we want that. And it was like, that was it. And it, it was, I, th I thought for a long time, it was Jason. I thought Jason was the one for a very long, I, I never thought it was Colton until maybe the last two weeks before we officially got the call. And I was, me and Jason were talking, we were like, it's Colton. Like, it's Colton. It's definitely Colton. We were shocked. Yeah. Wow. Fuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was funny too. We had a very unique, real quick, we had a very unique experience because me and Colton Jason were so close when we came off the show that like they couldn't tell one person one thing because we'd go running to each other and be like, what do they tell you? Mm -hmm. What do they tell you? So they had never really had that before, I don't think. Mm -hmm. So at one point they threw all of us on a group chat together with producers because they were like, fuck it. If you guys are going to talk to each other, we're just going to do this, you know, together. Yeah. So they would update us in a text message, you know, um, throughout and then I got the text, I got the text message, I think it was like a Sunday morning and they hit it and they were like, we've made a decision. We're going to call each of you individually. Um, and then that's when they call and, you know, they give you the whole, we thought it was you, we wanted it to be you, but it's, you know, sure, they give sure. you the whole spiel. Didn't work out. This is the way we're going. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, you know, maybe next year, you know, like one of those. Mm. <laughs> Lizzie and I are also TV writers. We have worked in Hollywood for a long time. We know how the dance is done. <laughs> yep. But yep. Uh, in that, in that call, when you're talking to Tardic and stuff, did he ever talk about money with you guys, like how much they were offering you as a lead? And did Tardik get it so that you all got the same offer? That <laughs> right. seems like something he would do to me. So it's such a strange thing because you have zero power. 
Like if you're like, no, I mean, I think I, I don't know the sure, but I think like Luke Pell maybe, or maybe even Peter Krause, like wanted more, right. They wanted their music yeah. and like, you know, and they were like, fuck you. And we're going somewhere else. So you had zero negotiation power. So literally they told us, they're like, Hey, we're offering you all this much money. Mm. There's no negotiation. Cause on it, we couldn't, if it was like, if Jason was like, I want a little bit more, they'd be like, okay, bye Jason. It's between Colton and Blake. You know what I mean? So right. you have zero power in negotiating, but we all had the same contract. We did talk like, what is your contract today? What is yours going to, you know? And Jason of course was like, let's negotiate together. You know, <laughs> like, like, bro, we have zero power over this man. Like they'll yeah. go to that last season. Right. You know what I mean? I'm like we can't negotiate anything, man. Yeah. It's not the 10th season yeah. of Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're not going to yeah, go unionize. Yeah. <laughs> not not yet. yet. That's support for today's episode comes from one skin. If you have sensitive skin, you're going to want to hear about OneSkin's scientifically proven topical supplements. This is face, eye, body, shield, and it can all be used with any of their other products, which are free from over 1,500 chemicals and preservatives that can make skin red, irritated, or itchy. Their products are safe for sensitive skin. It's just one of the reasons they've earned the SkinSafe seal of approval. You got to keep that skin glowing if you want to be keeping up the level of face play that I've got going on. And OneSkin was founded by an all-woman team of scientists. Their products are backed by extensive lab and clinical data to validate their efficacy and safety on all skin types. Uh, Their topical supplements are the easiest way to keep your skin healthy and hydrated without the harsh ingredients or irritation found in other skincare products often. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code ROSES at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code ROSES. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support Gore and tell them that we sent you. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Clues. Underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got... Ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc. You don't know what to expect. But now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies. And now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt 
and my um <laughs> which is not what this uh, ad is about but i am also wearing the super soft sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband you want that you don't want it to be rolling you don't want it to be showing and i'm hooked i don't want to wear anything else it's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, MeUndies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash roses. That's MeUndies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. This is a question for both of you. You've now watched a lot of the show. What is one rule or game mechanic that you would add or eliminate or one thing you would change about The Bachelor or Bachelorette? That's a good question. I've never actually thought. So something I would try to think of something. Go ahead. For some reason, like I wish they would kind of maybe take on more of the approach of like a Love Island, not like just like kind of mix it up a little bit, like where it's might be more of like a game show, mm-hmm. possibly, and like throw in some competitions in there, like overt gameplay that aren't just the obstacle courses, which are kind of at yeah. least in terms of their competition are really meaningless. You can cheat to win them, and- yeah, or or like whatever that Quidditch ball thing that they like none of that right. stuff, right? <laughs> whatever whatever that was that where who was that that Michael got just destroyed by Hunter this past year. And I mean, Blake ended Clay's. Oh, the fake sport. Yeah, Clay broke his arm in, in my season. Blake ended Clay's NFL career. <laughs> On the Bachelorette. <laughs> which yeah. we still, every dinner we go to, we still clown Clay about this. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah, was, yeah when we were playing football, <laughs> the one who broke his arm. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny, yeah. So, and yeah, I still, I yeah. still go, stand by, had he not broken his arm, Clay was the first Black Bachelor. I still stand by that. Had he not left the show, I think he was the first Black Bachelor. They loved him. The producers loved that man. Yeah. And he wow. had an incredible story, too. Um, as far as something I would change or add, gosh, honestly, I don't. That's such a good question. I might have to actually think about this because the only thing I can think of, because the game completely, I can't believe I just said the game. You guys got me all brainwashed <laughs> yeah. now. <laughs> what We got you brainwashed. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if you know yeah, about this show called it. The Bachelor that has producers <laughs> oh, whose job it is to ruin. We're telling so the truth here. It is a game. Like, period. It just is. Something that is, is a lot of people don't know and is very interesting when you're on the show is your experience completely changes at hometowns. So, like, that's how I think it's shocking sometimes when they pick leads outside of hometowns because the first half of the season is basically honestly filmed in like a month. And then the second half of the season is filmed in like two months. So the final four weeks, because you're tra- usually, you know, they haven't traveled in a while, but you're traveling everywhere. Um, you're with one producer. You're not with multiple producers. You never, you're very, very much isolated. You're never with any, but any other players or anything like that. So like, I think that would be maybe something they should change. Like, I think you shouldn't isolate there at the end. Now, obviously that will never happen because they want you to break. But I think that was that was the toughest part was like you're you're around people 24-7 and your friends, you become very close. Then also it's like overnight, boom, you never see them again. And uh, it's super strange except for like at rose ceremony. So I don't know. I guess that'd be something I changed, but they never would because 
they want to see you sweat and break and you know that kind of thing. I mean, they slightly did change it on Peter Weber's season, having the yeah. three fantasy suite people together. So messed up. <laughs> so you want that to stay. Forcing them <laughs> to <laughs> sleep in the same bed, basically. It was so messed up. I remember that. So coming into Paradise, the Bachelor, the crown doesn't materialize for you. You come into Paradise. And that season, it seemed like Stagecoach 2019 <laughs> was really like the ground zero of player meetups outside of the game. We know they have happened prior to that, but that was the first time that the game itself made mention of it in the document. And obviously it, it figured into a huge part of the plot for you that season and for all the other players who were involved in it. So what is what went down at Stagecoach just in terms of like, we know roughly what went down. We don't need to rehash everything. <laughs> Tell us exactly. <laughs> I still feel like ABC owes me some producer credit for the Stagecoach thing all Ooh, happening. Oh, why is that? You're the mastermind of Stagecoach 2019? I got the tickets from him. Yeah, he's the reason I went. I was the one who put the whole trip together for all of us. So really, we shouldn't be friends anymore is the thing. Like, I shouldn't even <laughs> talk to Eric. This is where we find out Eric is secretly an ABC producer <laughs> yeah. who orchestrated all of this. It's a long game. <laughs> I just put it together. I he whatever he did he did that's his fault. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, no, I know, but like to have all of the Bachelor Nation players there and present, and it's it is funny to see that now how it's played out. Like it's it was so frowned upon then, and now it's like just something that everybody hangs out. Well, and the thing is, is everything like you mentioned, everybody hung out before. Like it's not like I was the that was the first you know Bachelor sure. meet up and hook up. But no, so I I didn't know exactly how many like I knew there were going to be some people there, but I like because you know. Colton, I remember Colton like being like, my whole season's going to be there. And I was like, oh, really? I was like, damn, that's crazy, you know? But I, no, I, I had to DM anybody. I knew Caitlin was going, uh, mm. but I didn't know, I didn't, hadn't talked to anybody else uh, previous right. to that who, who, was, who was there. So, no, it was a bit of a surprise. And honestly, I mean, well, that's not you. I knew Christina was going to be there too. Me and Christina had, had been friends and mm. talked and, you know, for a while. But other than that, like, I didn't know, you know, Tasha, Demi, Heather. I, I mean, right. I, I could go on. Like, literally, Colton's whole season was there. And honestly, I didn't even meet all of them until it was Saturday night. I think we were at... It was that Neon Carnival. It was Neon Carnival. They had a table right next to us. Yeah. No, I think they, they basically stood at our table. But yeah, we had a table. It was a crazy experience. Like, as, as much shit that's come from Stagecoach, it was honestly one of the best weekends of my life. Like, I was hanging at our table. was Rob Gronkowski, Sam Hunt's. Um, like all these people were at our table, like partying with them. And then I had like, on um, that was on my left side. And on the right side, it was Colton's whole season, you know, but that party is kind of where all of that, like what happened on paradise. Yeah. Cause then it, that's where I did meet everybody was at that neon carnival, which is the after party. And that's when it became this, like, I don't know, the narrative if you will of, of paradise. Cause it was like, as soon as I walked down there, yep. I saw Tasha and I was like, oh, I haven't seen you since stagecoach. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen you since stagecoach. We met at stagecoach. And so they just, you know, they played that over and over with everybody. Yeah. Because I really hadn't seen anybody since stagecoach. It's it's really fascinating for us to watch as fans of the game to see these things that happen outside of the document itself. I mean, in this case, they affect the game. And now that's like exponentially the case, you know. It really started back in the early, early seasons when the show itself would have these sanctioned events in like Las Vegas or New York for past cast members. And they would shoot it and they would show a few clips of it during the men tell all their women tell all or the after the final rose. And that eventually became paradise. They were like, why don't we just put all these people in a place or it became bachelor pad and then paradise. But you're now seeing, I think because of stagecoach 2019, that was kind of the evolution of it. Like here's a singular event where all the players are going to show up or a lot of them and things are going to happen that will then affect narratives in bachelor paradise. But now you're seeing 
these things aren't just events. They're ongoing. There are crews. There's the New York crew, the San Diego crew, the Nashville crew, the LA crew who are constantly doing social media with each other, constantly going to each other's birthday parties and whatever. It's like daily now. So there isn't just a stagecoach. It's mm-hmm. like stagecoach mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. It's I, I love it personally. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> the game never ends. Stagecoach yeah. is a state of mind. Yeah. And it's funny because you're right. Like, and there are, I mean, this not necessarily smart because I get you. You're right. Like, it's almost like cross-pollinating. Like you you hang out because then you can get more followers. You know, that's basically why you hang out with these people. Now, obviously some people are real friends. Like I'm very close to a lot of people, but that's kind of how it starts. It's like, hey, let's do these meetups, you know, because we can get more, we can get free bottles at the club and we can get, you know, a bunch of followers. But that was happening. And some of the contestants just would never air it. You know, like I know multiple that hung out on my from my paradise, but they just didn't put it on social media, mm-hmm. you know, and they were a little bit mm-hmm. smarter, I guess, if you will, about it. Um, and I guess that was one of the most frustrating parts of my experience of paradise. I was like, you're going to sit here and lecture me like certain people when I know that you hooked up with her and you looked up with him and like, you're trying to lecture me, but I couldn't say that on camera. So it was very frustrating for me at times down there being like, totally, you know, you hypocrite, like, just like it was, it was very frustrating. But like, you can say that on camera. It's just, will the producers use it or not? And I think what we saw on this season of Bachelor in Paradise is a great example of that. Everybody, I assume everybody talks about Instagram followers. It's literally your business. It's how you all make your money. You become influencers. Maybe you get a podcast hosting job on the official Bachelor Nation series Mm -hmm. of podcasts. Maybe you don't. But the idea that people don't care about those things, that it's like incidental and they're really only there for love. And it's like, okay, then delete your Instagram. Yes, (laughs) Nobody's doing that. You know what I mean? Hell no. It's crazy to me. But Mm -hmm. anyway, that that, uh, Stagecoach 2019 is, it will always hold a special place in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. too. (laughs) Yeah, it was, yeah, it's it's just crazy what, like at the time, I mean, and Eric can test this, like it, it wasn't a big deal, you know? And then watching the show, like I remember I watched those first two episodes early because um, I got a call from a producer. I was I was in Montreal at the time and I got a call from a producer being like, and when a producer says it's bad, it is bad. Because usually they are optimistic. But I got a call from the producer, my producer at the time and she was like, it's rough. Like first two episodes are really rough. And I was like, I was I, I lost it. I was like, I'm burning this down. I was like, I'm not going to let you guys do this to me. I'm not going to let her do this to me. And I got the episodes early and I remember watching it and being like, oh my God, I cannot believe they're doing this. And they're making Stagecoach like this big of a deal. It was crazy to, to watch. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you were the first. This had never mm-hmm, happened. Mm-hmm. And even when we were down there, like I remember talking to like Demi and like some others who were down there and they didn't think it was a big deal. Like they, you know, so it's kind of funny how they edited it to be, yeah. to be like the whole, everything. It seemed like everything everybody was talking about was stagecoach when it really wasn't like that. Eric, do you feel responsible? <laughs> no. Yes and no. Yes and no. You're the mastermind of one of the most important events in Bachelor history. I took the horse, the water, and he drank it. So I, that's what it is. And I did share a wall. My room is uh, next to his. So, I mean, yeah, and he had no idea. He had no idea. Oh, there's some funny, there's some good stories there. Yeah, that we'll never say in public. <laughs> no, I'm a vault. I'm a, I'm a vault. I'm a vault. He's a vault. I, I could I could destroy so many people's lives. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, my God. 20 some years of being in this business. Like. Eric, you are always welcome on Game of Roses. <laughs> you are a Bachelor producer. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm the protector, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm the facilitator and protector. While this Bachelor in Paradise season is airing, you infamously post your DMs with Kaylin Miller keys to counteract this villain edit 
based on the story of your relationship. How did that and did that affect your Instagram numbers and did your villain edit affect your Instagram numbers? Yeah. So it was probably the crazy, roughly 36 to 48 hours, obviously of my life, just in terms of the highs, the lows, just everything. It was crazy, you know? And I remember, so like I said, I got the call, you know, I watched two episodes, I think on, I was in Montreal on Sunday. I watched them. I literally had a notepad. I still have it somewhere, like two pieces of paper of times they had, oh, within the first two episodes of times they had dubbed words over me, times they had edited me crying or edited me doing certain things that wasn't happening at the time. Like literally two pages worth of stuff. It was insane. Like I knew the backlash was going to be bad because of some of the things that Kaylin said. And I was like, if, if it airs like this and I reached out to a couple of people and I was like, I'm, I'm, this is, these are a lot, you know, it's not true. Like I'm releasing text messages. And Monday I turned my phone off completely, completely turned my phone off. Uh, Cause there was Monday, Tuesday airing, turned my phone off completely Monday, turned it on Tuesday morning. Um, and at this point I was just in rough, rough shape, you know, and I noticed I had lost roughly like 20, 25,000 followers. And that's when I started making phone calls. And, you know, I did, I did go ahead and call. I, I texted Dean and Kaylin, let them know what was happening. I, I wasn't like, I blindsided them. I let them know. And then all of a sudden they wanted to talk. And then I, you know, I, I let producers know, like I, I called other people for, for advice and, you know, alumni, I called them for advice and it was like half and half, half was like, I wouldn't do it. Half was like, you have to do it. And when I released the text messages, it was a sense of relief in a sense that like, okay, the truth is out there now. But at the same time, I felt incredibly bad because I knew what was going to happen to Kaylin, you know? And, and I know a lot of people are like, I remember, you know, I've talked to people like, dude, why did you care what was going to happen to her? Like she kind of brought it on herself. I'm like, yes, but I know how bad the mob can be. Like, I know how bad it could be because it had just mm-hmm. happened to me. So it was this, yeah. this weird moment where, yes, it brought a little, took, you know, some heat off me a little bit, but it put really, really bad on Kaylin. I didn't necessarily want that, but I felt backed into a corner at the time. There was nothing else I could do. You know, it was like, my life is literally like, it, I was worse than Brendan before I released text messages, a hundred percent. Like I was, I was a sexual predator more or less from my edit. And I just, I couldn't do it. And it was, mm-hmm. that was peak me too movement. Like I was, I was getting death threats. I was getting, it was, it was horrible. I had shit left at my house. Like it was, it got bad for me. So it, it was hard and it was really hard. Um, and then all of a sudden I set my phone down for maybe about, you know, an hour. I was literally, you know, breathing into a paper bag. I was like, my mom was on call with an ambulance and like, it was bad for me, Put my phone, pick my phone back up. And I had gained within an hour, I had gained over a hundred thousand followers and with over the next two hours before, then I deleted the text messages. I had gained close to, to 150 to 200,000 followers. So I'd lost 20, wow. gained 200 within two hours. And my views on my story were almost 2 million views on my story in about two hours. It was, it was absolutely, I, I would refresh and I'd gain 10,000 followers. I'd refresh. I'd, yeah, it was, it was insane. Uh, but again, like at the time, like I, I, I was just so mentally and emotionally drained and just messed up that... It, nothing was really computing with me at the time, you know, and I looking back, mm-hmm. like I did delete the text messages, like it, not that it mattered because everybody had screenshot them a thousand times, but I, to a sense, I'm glad I did. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I didn't change anything, you know, it did though, dude. Cause honestly, like it was historic what you did in terms of a parasocial play. It was the first time really that we saw a player use their social media to counteract the narrative. The producers were putting in their edit. Now that shit happens almost every week. I mean, Katie Thurston was doing it to save some of her players to protect Hunter Montgomery. When they gave him a, a villain, edit, she was like, ah, you don't know the half of it. You're looking at a lead now protecting the people she's kicking off. And I think 
I mean, just for my money, you putting out those texts was the, it was like the first time we saw that the first shot fired and you kind of set precedent for everybody else to do it. And the fact that you got such crazy gains off of it as well proves that it was a great parasocial play. Mm -hmm. And my next question to you is based on this, as social media has evolved, do you think producers have resentment toward players now that their social media allows you guys to become more famous than them? to monetize from their time in the game in a way that was never possible before and to financially put you guys way above what producers make? Yeah, great question. And that's something that I think is definitely a factor in a lot of the edits and the narratives and the way producers treat certain contestants because, yes, I think very much, I mean, to put it blatantly, like, yes, I think they do hold some resentment towards some players um, because they they feel like, quote unquote, they made us. You know, they they yeah. created us. And I get that to a degree. But at the same time, like we still like, you know, how there's that that saying like you sign, you, you know, you sign what you get what you signed up for. Right. You know what you signed up for. Yeah. You know what you signed up for. Right. Yeah. That's Hannah yeah. Ann Sluss season 24. <laughs> she famously stated it, uh, it sitting an inch yeah. away from Madison Pruitt's face as they were talking about fantasy. Suites. You know what you signed up for. <laughs> Which to a degree is very much correct. And I, I think that way about the producers too. I'm like, you, like you signed up mm -hmm. for it. Like, you know what comes for the contestants and the players, if you will. Uh, but I'll never forget. I was in Flint, Michigan. I was with producers and we were filming Colton's live premiere. Me and Jason were in Michigan and we were at an Applebee's with producers. And they blatantly just flat out. Because I feel like people were making money before, but I think maybe... Becca's and maybe Ari's season was the first one where I think people were making just stupid amounts of money coming off the show. If you, if you're successful, you know, you get a lot of followers. They blatantly just looked us in the eye and they were like, you know, how much do you make? Like how much do you make a month off just Instagram? And at the time I still had a job at the time, right? Like I was still selling beer. And we told them, you know, we were like, like more money than I would have ever dreamed, you know, like just money that I never thought I'd have. Like I paid off my college loans in a month. You know what I mean? Like mm. crazy money. And I saw this change in their eye and I saw this, like, they were like, what the fuck? Like I could see it in there. I was like, what in the hell? Like that's bullshit almost, you know, like how is it that we are getting, and they're not underpaid. Like I think producers are paid pretty well. Some of them anyway, Sure. but I still saw this, like how but we created you, you know, we made you like, you don't deserve this money. Basically I think is what, and I get that to a degree. Sometimes I feel like I don't deserve the money. You know what I mean? Like I went on, I fell in love on TV, you know, that's like all I really did. And so, yeah, but there definitely is some resentment. No, but you became famous and fame is the only thing that matters now. We are now in that society. <laughs> it gave us our last president, not Biden, but fame and love. of course, falling in love and all that stuff. Well, and, and again, I'm not saying that people don't fall in love in the show, but you guys become famous from it. And we now live in a society where fame equals money. That number next to your name on Instagram equals a fucking dollar sign in your bank account. And the producers, I think what they don't understand and what they really resent is the death of television, of traditional media as the most important media. It's not now. Mm -hmm. If you make that content, you're going to get paid a certain rate by the production company or the studio or the network who's making it. But if you become famous, you're going to get a shitload more money from everybody else, sponsors, Patreon, where, however you can monetize your fame, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is something intrinsic in all people who produce TV and movies and shit where it's like, well, you know, Charlie D'Amelio has 200 whatever million TikTok followers. She's not like her fame's stupid. It's not real. There was that, mm -hmm. that whole thing when Kim Kardashian started to get famous for in quotes, nothing. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, she's the best person at being famous who's ever lived. And being famous is a fucking art. Mm -hmm. It is a fucking sport. It is a fucking job. Mm -hmm. Producers can't do that job. Nope. And I think they are 
in some ways resentful towards you guys because you can. You really are professional athletes operating at a very high level, playing a very specific game that almost no one can play successfully. And that gets rewarded financially through um, Instagram. Yeah, I, I, I would I would almost call it like we live in the Kardashian era where it is like the first time that people can be famous for being famous. Like you can you can monetize off of literally just your your brand yourself. You know, even if you don't have you're not an athlete, you're not a musician, you're not an artist. Like you, it's crazy to think like I didn't know. I knew off the show I could make a little money. Like I remember being like, maybe it'd be cool to pay off my student loans. Like that was my end goal. And then I got off and I was like, oh, I can make a living, not only a living, but a good living off of this. Yeah. You know, and it like changed completely. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah. Do you remember what was your first spawn con that you did? I do. I do. I remember, well, it was Bumble. It was Bumble uh, because that's an easy, you know, you have to show you're single, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like, I remember I got, you know, got the text or the email from my, my agent and they, I was like, you're pay- paying me what? Like, they're going to pay me this much for one post. You know, it's like, I'm on Bumble, like download Bumble and something like that. And that was when it was like, and then all of a sudden that those first few, like the guy, everybody from this season of paradise right now, it's just like flooding. The, the ads are just flooding in right now and just insane money because their engagement is so high. So not, it doesn't even matter. Like hundred thousand people with a hundred thousand, you know, followers right now are getting paid what three years ago, the million followers are right now, you know, um, because of the engagement is just, oh yeah, the engagement, that's all they care about is the engagement. So somebody with a hundred thousand followers right now is probably getting like 150,000 views on their story where somebody with a million views is maybe getting a hundred thousand views on their story right now. Except for grocery store, Joe, who just joined the million club today. Jesus Christ. Joe's going to make a million dollars this year. Like not even, yeah, like without trying. Of course. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. So yeah, I think there's some resentment and yeah, it's, it's a game. Like it is, you know, to a degree, I think you have to be open for love. You have to be open to the idea of love, but yeah, everybody goes on the show with that in their back of their head. You can monetize and make a living. Eric, you started co-hosting this podcast with Blake. When did you see your Instagram numbers go up? Like what did you have when you started the podcast versus what you have now? I don't even remember because I don't really pay attention to that stuff very much, oddly. Very 4TRR. Fascinating. But you have almost 50,000 Instagram followers. That's not like nothing, you know? Honestly, I don't remember. It's probably 20 something or so. Because I, I would always gain followers. All the stuff I'd be tagged in, whether it was like hanging out with like Colton, Blake, Jason. It wasn't even the podcast, I think. Yeah, it was like, it was all before, like you, like going to Vegas, every time we'd go to Vegas or like these other shows and a country artists or athletes, tag, like, yeah, I get a lot of like clicks on other people's stuff. So it was adding up prior to the podcast for sure. But now with the podcast, obviously doing giveaways and follow, 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 it's, it, it adds up. Mm-hmm. It's getting there. It's like a hundred thousands, my million. And I'll be happy. <laughs> I just want to see a K next to my name at some point. I make like satanic bachelor <laughs> memes. Uh, for me, you know, like anything. I remember when I was first doing it, I'm just like high at night after watching The Bachelor, throwing the shit into the void. And like if five people would laugh at it, I'd be like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> yeah, like even if even if I get approached like with ads and stuff, like I'm so uncomfortable doing that. Like I watch these guys do that self. This I'm like, man, I can't do that shit. You can do that. Get your money. <laughs> I can, but it's like I, I don't have that personality and like that that energy to do that. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. To look natural and having fun doing it. <laughs> like, right. I think the hat and sweatshirt game, that's all you need to sell. Hats and sweatshirts. Hats and you do need a sweater brand. Bro. I do need you a do hoodie need a, company. Yeah. yeah, you need a hoodie brand for sure. Yeah. I love this brand. Be a good person. Yeah, that's a good brand. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice local company here in Denver. Oh. Like wears a lot of their gear too. I wear a lot of our stuff. 
It's a good message behind it. I like that. It's beautiful. Very wholesome. <laughs> um, we're talking about the Bachelor in Paradise gains, how people now can make a ton of money make if they have 100K. During Bachelorette 15, Bachelor 23, 24, and BIP 6, you seem to have the highest grouping of 500K plus people of any of the seasons. But now it seems to have tapered off. Why do you think that is? <sighs> that is such a good question. And I, I, I've i had conversations with people because at first it was like, I, I mean, the show, according to like the Nielsen ratings and all those kinds of ratings, net, like you talked about, network television is more or less going away. Like it is. And definitely this, this show, not as many people watch the show anymore. I think my season, I don't know exactly how many, but they were under 3 million people for Katie's season, which is insane to think yeah. about. Like, that's mm-hmm. crazy. I think it's first season ever to drop below 3 million and not Katie's fault, literally. And this BIP too. Yeah, BIP. This BIP is the lowest rated Bachelor thing ever yep. in history. It's the worst ratings ever of all time. That is crazy. Lower than Listen to Your Heart? I don't remember what Listen to Your Heart was, but I bet it's comparable. Because mm-hmm. that was at least during quarantine. So we have anything else yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, obviously the show is more or less dying, um, but a lot of people still watch on like Hulu and all these other things and all these other streaming services, um, which obviously those Nielsen ratings don't catch. I think some of it has to do with TikTok. I think the younger generation that used to go on Instagram and follow are now on TikTok. Um, So I think that does have something to do with it. Uh, And I, I truly think the show has just had so much controversy lately around it that it has turned a lot of people off. Um, and it doesn't matter who you are, what your point in life you are at. I think it just rubbed a lot of different people the wrong way. And I think a lot of people decided they're just not going to watch and they're not going to follow anymore. And it, it sucks because like watching Hannah's season was absolutely insane. Like watching Pete and Tyler just blow up and, you know, everything went so perfect. And Hannah. Yeah. And Hannah, you're right. You're right. That season had three players. I mean, Hannah included, she was a lead obviously, but it had three people come off that season with 2 million plus followers. Oh, that is insane. Who else? So was Hannah Tyler and... And Pete, Pilot Pete. He ultimately got 2 million. Colton. Oh, Colton did too. Shit. Four people yeah, yeah. hit 2 million off that season. Of I, th- I believe only five people have done it. Those four and JoJo. Fletcher. JoJo. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy to see. There's really nothing too diff. Like Hannah's season was a big deal. There was some, like character-wise, there was crazy and character arcs and villains and all that. But other than that, the seasons haven't changed like in forever. No. <laughs> you have the here for the right reason or here for the wrong reasons narrative. You have the love stories. You have the villain. Like nothing has really changed yet. Those people just aren't nowadays just aren't getting the followings. I mean, look at Blake Moynes just one and he's like, what, 600 or something like right around where yeah. I am. It's crazy to see like how it's just. Poor it's guy. Just, yeah. <laughs> just crazy to see how it's just slowly declined over, over time. I, I think you're right that it's these past bubble seasons that we just watched were like, I mean, we fucking do a podcast about this shit. We have to watch this and write about it and talk about it and whatever. And it was real hard to get through these pandemic seasons because it seemed like the producers were trying to compensate for the lack of travel and kind of spectacle of the show with orchestrated drama, like firing five new players in mid season or bringing Heather Martin back or having this, uh, you know, rumors about people doing sex work. Like it seemed like they were actively trying to make it as toxic as possible. And that is just not fun to watch. Like it's not. Yeah. They were really showcasing the wrong points of the show. Totally. Mm -hmm. And I think in the past it's like, have your villain or whatever, but you know, it, they, they never made it so that the seasons were about to fall apart because of it. And I think like they mishandled Matt James season, obviously to a, an insane amount that threatened in, in some ways, I think to destroy the whole show. 
But I also think that there's a piece of this that is the fourth audience. We, we break it down. The game is basically played to four audiences. If you're coming in as a player, you're playing to the first audience, which is the lead. The second audience is the other players. The third audience is the producers. And the fourth audience is us at home watching it. And you kind of simultaneously have to be aware of all of those people that you're playing to all of them for various reasons. I personally think that the fourth audience has evolved over not only the bubble seasons, but even kind of evolving with social media as it's become more a part of the, you know, kind of peripheral version of watching reality TV. And if your season had aired now, your VIP season, do you think you might have seen a massive loss like Brennan Marias did for your villain edit? Um, the only reason I would say no is because had I, honestly, I, I look at this, the, the Brendan Piper thing and they could have survived that. Totally. They're not the first people to go to talking, you know, or even in a relationship and go to paradise. Like it's happened before and people have survived where they messed up was the way they Ray Brendan treated Natasha. And then like you, people do talk about followings. They do talk about followings and in Instagram while they're on there, but for them to show that and the way they talked about it, they just seem to brush everybody else's feelings off. That was what killed them. And yeah. I always say back to my experience on paradise, the one thing that's so frustrating with my experience for me is I did like nothing on the beach wrong. Like there's nothing you can point to on the beach and be like, he shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have done that. Like, I can't think of a single thing. My entire villain edit was created and narrated, like the narrative of it was created before I hit the beach. They mm. knew exactly what they were going to turn me into before I hit the beach. I had zero control. Where I think Brendan and Piper had some control and they fumbled it and muffed it up pretty bad when they were down there. So I don't think I would have had as bad a fall of, you know, of uh, fallout. Uh, I still would have had some, but um, that's why I, th I still think I wouldn't have fallen quite as bad as Brendan and Piper. Yeah. They challenged the sanctity of the game, as we know. And there, so did Ivan Hall, I guess. Yeah. When Wells sits him down, and is like, do you understand the gravity of this situation? It's like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, I didn't murder somebody. Yeah. It's oh. a fucking reality show. I completely agree with you. And I thought the show, kind of like Eric mentioned earlier, Love Island, I thought the show was going to embrace social media a little bit and almost like empower it. And like, you know, they, they look for, they, they enjoy the success of contestants, but they decided to go, the complete other way and have decided to take themselves so seriously. Like the show is yeah. like, yeah, the sanctity, you know, like they've decided just to go the complete opposite way, which I'm shocked by. I thought they were going to embrace social media a little bit more. They only go the opposite way with people who are not Bachelor Nation sanctioned podcast hosts, because as you saw in the final episode, literally on screen, they celebrate huh. Natasha Parker's 460,000 Instagram follower gain with a fucking Chiron as she is spraying champagne with little John in the background. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't you just say Instagram followers are bad? Now yeah. you're fucking doing this. Yeah. The shit. It's very fucking weird how they're doing that. But yeah, I was just curious if you if you thought maybe your season would have would have been different if it was aired now. But you're so right. Like this Bachelor Nation host thing is just podcast host thing. I don't know if they could. I, I think Joe and Becca and Natasha deserve to be down there this season. But I don't see how you can bring in another host at some point because now it's just like it's unfair. I feel like it's unfair to anybody else around. You know what I mean? That's the model, though. Warner Brothers owns all that shit. They're making money off the podcast, the show, all of that. There's going to be a brand new Bachelor Nation official podcast coming out this year. I guarantee it. And those hosts will also be on Paradise. That's just the model now because there's too much money in it.
That seems to, that ruins the sanctity of the show. You know, that's how I feel. <laughs> this is this is 1984, dude. This is George Orwell. Yeah, no shit. It's the podcast host saying, "Hi, we're here for the right reasons. We also have a podcast and a million Instagram followers apiece." But it's like they're upholding this idea of 4TRR, which is what we call for the right reasons, even though clearly they're in it for money. They're not deleting their Instagrams. They're doing these podcasts. It's just like it's this weird lie that gets perpetuated within the world of The Bachelor. And we watch it again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And it gets reinforced. Final question. If Warner Brothers Media offered you your own Bachelor Nation official podcast, but you had to do another tour on sand... Would you do it? Ooh, God, that is a good question. First of all, I don't think that will ever, ever happen. But if, <laughs> it, if, it, if it did, um, uh, may, that'd be the only way I would go back on that beach, maybe. Honestly, mm. would be know that I am protected by the puppeteers, if you will. Um, but it's just honestly, so I still, we talked about it earlier. I do believe in the process. Like I do, I, I've seen people fall in love there. This show has done some horrible things to people. This is a good audition. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Here comes my, my uh, pitch. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> no, this show has done some terrible, horrible things. It's also done some incredible things. There are, there are human beings. There are literally, you know, children, human beings created from this show. So the show at times can be incredibly special and it can also be incredibly terrible, but I do believe in the process. I do, but I don't know personally if I could go down on that beach or wherever, you know, uh, and be myself, I just don't, I, I have so many trust issues with mm -hmm. this franchise and with some of the producers that I think I would go down there and just be a fool because I, I would be everywhere. My, my head would be everywhere. I wouldn't know who to trust. I'd, I'd have walls so freaking high. Nobody could break them down. Like, I just think it would be very difficult for me to go back down there. Now I say that now, and maybe, you know, you never know years from I now, know. you're going to be like that son of a bitch said he'd never go on there. And he's on a piece six months from now. You're going <laughs> to yeah. be the new host of the next clickbait or whatever. <laughs> it's all yeah. going to start happening. Oh man. <laughs> but no, we, we can't thank you guys enough for sitting down with us and talking about all this stuff. Please everybody out there, go listen to behind the rose, fantastic podcast. And really Blake, like, you know, you are one of the players who is kind of pulling the curtain back more than any other at this point, which we appreciate because to us, that's really what the show is about. Like you have to watch it with this kind of critical eye to say, yes, I see what we're seeing on the screen, but why are we seeing what we're seeing and what are we not seeing? Those are kind of the questions we're always asking ourselves. And I feel like, you know, you fill in those answers really more than any player in recent history. And we can't thank you enough for that. I try. I try. Yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. Well, do you guys have any other things that, that people need to look at? Where where can people find you? All that stuff. Yeah. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram at balake.h um, and uh, listen to Behind the Rose podcast. Go subscribe, five star, all that fun stuff. And then we'll be out on this road as well, DJing. So if you see us in a city near you anytime or all over the country, um, come out and see us for sure. Are you coming to LA? Not LA yet, but San Diego. Coming to San Diego next weekend. SD over LA. Oh, the San Diego crew. Oh, yeah. There's going to be. Oh, that's uh, we're rolling deep. Our, our guest list is very long. We'll just say that. Will the coiner of the term big body trash can Aaron Clancy be in attendance? He will not. What? He's out of town. Him and Bonsall are doing a, a world tour. Him and James are out of town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they're in Canada or something. I think they're going to Canada. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. Right. Got to spread the love. Yeah, so. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Eric, where can people find you, dude? Oh, uh, pimp it out. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, e dot Brad five. <laughs> yeah. We got to get you to hundred K. <laughs> yeah. No, we'll just get to 50 first. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at e dot Brad five, six on Instagram. And that's really about it. Yeah. And 
just follow Behind the Rose podcast and give us a listen. Awesome. All right. Well, fantastic. Thanks again, guys. This was a an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Truly. That was fun. Yeah, thank you guys. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in... um body problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. It's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, Mm. they have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back, no questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.